Dear listeners, welcome to Medicine Today on Digital Health. I'm your host, Tiasha Zaitz, and today my guest is a diabetes industry expert, David Cliff. He is straightforward. A lot of people hate when I say this, but diabetes management isn't that complicated. It really isn't. Bold. If you lose weight and you walk into a room full of your friends, the first thing they're going to say to you is, oh my God, you look great. Well, diabetes isn't like that. You know, you don't walk into a room and somebody doesn't say, hey, Dave, your A1C looks awesome. And optimistic. You know, you've got companies like Apple and Google and Amazon. You know, you have all of these new companies who know not only uh, how to communicate with the patient, but make, how to make people's lives easier. You know, that has a lot of potential. So our today's topic is, what can we learn from the industry of diabetes management and when it comes to behavioral change, technology adoption and adherence, what can we figure out based on patients with diabetes? Will diabetes ever be cured? A lot of progress has been made in diabetes therapy and development of management tools. Today, the industry is looking at novel therapies which would make the disease as invisible to the patient as possible. For the last decade, researchers from all around the globe have been working on artificial pancreas. The next expected breakthrough are ingestible or implantable therapies which will react based on detected glucose in the body. On the technology side, one of the first big breakthroughs was the insulin pump. Then there's continuous glucose monitoring sensors. A few years ago, Google took over research on glucose measuring contact lens, which was later shut down. When it comes to app, around 2,000 are currently on the market. The idea is clear. The more automation, the better. Here's what else David has to say. You've been in the field of diabetes research for more than 20 years now, and you've been following closely what's coming to the market and how much benefit different innovations are actually bringing, either let it be drugs or technology. Um, Could you give maybe a brief reflection on how you see a patient can cope with uh, diabetes initially after diagnosis today compared to 20 years ago. How much easier or more optimistic is the diagnosis today compared to the past in your view? Oh, it's, uh, there's no question that we have better um, tools than we ever had before, both drugs and devices. You know, insulins, the new insulin analogs uh, work much better. They're much more stable. In the oral, uh, you know, sector, you have, uh, you know, some of these new drugs that, you know, not only are doing an excellent job of helping control blood sugars, but they're also providing some additional cardiovascular benefits that we've never seen before. You know, continuous glucose monitors, smarter insulin pumps, more patient-friendly insulin pens, um, the addition of uh, apps 
uh, you know, that help patients take all of this uh, data that they're getting and turning that data into uh, information they can use to help, you know, to better manage their diabetes. So all of that is very exciting. Um, if you have a motivated patient today, there are so many tools available to them that can help them that it's, you know, that's wonderful. Uh, on the flip side, however, I, I say this a lot. You can, you can, it's pretty easy to give a patient the how to. It's not so easy to give them the want to. Exactly. That's, that's one of the questions I wanted to, to ask you. So the motivation can be high in the beginning, but what happens when the disease becomes the, the new normal? That's what usually is the problem of apps that let's say, wearables showed that that was in wellness but still that after half a year most of the users got tired of using them so i think uh, diabetes is one area where we could really learn a lot about uh, behavioral change and what is needed to kind of sustain it uh, i'm not a very strong advocate um, for behavior change because it doesn't work on a long-term basis I can't speak for every patient, but I think that, you know, I divide patients into three very distinct groups. You know, you have patients like myself who are, we're motivated, we're educated, we understand why we're doing what we're doing, and we're willing to put the work in. You know, we don't need to be uh, pushed to do it. On the flip side, however... There are also patients, I don't care what you do with these people, they're, they're never going to be motivated. And then, but in the middle, you have what I call, the majority of patients understand that diabetes is serious, they know they need to do something about it, but they would prefer that their diabetes manager just became part of their life and didn't run their life that they were living with their diabetes and not for their diabetes. And I think that's what... That's one of the biggest problems that I see. It's not really the patient that's a problem. I view it more as the companies that are a problem because they don't understand that these patients, you know, they really, they really don't um, understand that these people have lives to live. And, and more often than not, these people aren't just managing their diabetes. There's hypertension, there's uh, cholesterol, there's God knows what else, you know, so... Think of all the comorbidities that are associated with diabetes. But there is a psychological toll with diabetes. You know, it, it, if you lose weight and you walk into a room full of your friends, the first thing they're going to say to you is, oh, my God, you look great. Well, diabetes isn't like that. You know, you don't walk into a room and somebody doesn't say, hey, Dave, your A1C looks awesome. You don't get a lot of constant positive reinforcement that makes all the heavy lifting, all the work that we have to do, make it worth it. So, um, I, you know, so what happens with almost all of these behavior changes that I've seen is, yeah, it works for a little while, but then there's no um, immediate tangible benefit that these people get. You know, diabetes isn't like that. By the time you're in physical discomfort, it's too late. What's your view on all the apps and all the 
um, help that is coming from the technology side to manage diabetes? Okay, there's a lot of potential. But again, I, you know, I, I, I really hate to say this. I can give you the how-to. I can't give you the want-to. That's where um, I think things get a little bit uh, hinky because... A lot of people hate when I say this, but diabetes management isn't that complicated. It really isn't. I mean... Yeah, that's a sharp one. Well, but it's true. I mean, listen, you ask any any physician, what's the biggest obstacle between patients and better outcomes? It's therapy compliance, therapy adherence. You know, doing the things you're supposed to be doing on a daily basis. I mean, the majority of patients are not on insulin. The majority of patients are either on, you know, multiple orals, maybe... Uh, maybe a long-acting plus orals, maybe a GLP-1. So, you know, if these people took their meds when they were supposed to, you know, we'd have a lot better results. Yes, for some of us, diabetes management is more complicated because we're type 1s. You know, insulin therapy uh, is more complex. But let's be honest, you know, it's, it is not, this is not brain surgery. I think that I can make an argument that all of this information actually can overwhelm a patient and turn them off. And it just becomes, you know, they don't really, they don't want it in their face. You know, I have a, I have a really good friend of mine who I've known for, God, I've known George for probably 30 years. He's a type 2 and, you know, he's, I don't want to say he's embarrassed, but he's like a lot of patients. I don't want to say he's ashamed of having diabetes, but not too many people know he has it. You know, because he's like, I'm like, you know, hey, you got diabetes. It's not a death sentence. You know, if you do it right, you'll be fine. But, you know, a lot of people have that stigma to, you know, oh, I've got diabetes. How was it in your case when you got the initial diagnosis? Could you maybe describe the experience a bit? I was uh, nervous and scared, you know. Um, didn't know much about it. Uh, but, you know, uh my wife was living back then, and, you know, the two of us basically said, hey, we're going to learn whatever we can about the disease, and, you know, uh, we'll go from there. And um, so that's what we did. Uh, I learned that, you know, I could live, you know, a normal, well, you know, what I call normal life. I mean, I've, I've run four marathons. I've done five triathlons. I might be attached to a bunch of devices, but... For the most part, you know, I live a normal life. I, you know, I can do what I want when I want. Um, I can eat what I want, and you know, I can enjoy a pretty good life. And you know, uh, you know, diabetes management, yeah, it's a, it can be a pain in the in the butt. But you know, I have two choices: either I can manage it and live, or I can not manage it and I can die. So, um, given the choice between living and dying, um, I'll take the living. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't view diabetes as a disability, you know. It's, yeah, it's just a part of life. And um, you mentioned before that um, a lot of expectations around management are unrealistic because 
diabetics are just people with their own lives and they don't want to be managed by their disease. And in that sense, a lot of attention uh, has been raised around the potential of artificial pancreas, uh, which some say is going to solve uh, diabetes type 1 completely. But uh, you have a different opinion. I recently read one of your in the interviews where you... Um, raised your doubt that any of the artificial pancreas devices currently under development will have any major impact on patients with type 1 uh, in the next decade. Could you elaborate a bit more on your skepticism around this technology? Well, um, all an artificial pancreas is, really is, is a collection of devices, Okay. All of these devices are interconnected. They all talk to each other and they all work together. And part of my skepticism is that it's kind of like a chain on a bicycle. If a, if, if, if a link breaks and the chain falls off the bike, it doesn't run. You know, the new Medtronic 670G, I know people are using it. Take away the sensor, it's just another insulin pump. And if the sensor's not right, well, then the whole system is off. It is, it is, it is a, it's a pretty complex device to use and it's not cheap either. So you've got a lot of moving parts. It's expensive and it's a finite group of patients who will benefit from this. I guess what I'm saying to you is, is that it's, it's a scenario where it's, to me, it's a very limited market. So where do you see uh, the most potential? Is it in the therapies? Um, I like very stupid, elegant solutions. So, you know, I look at something like the intarsia micropump. Mm -hmm. I love that. And the reason I love it is because once it's in the patient's body, they don't have to do jack. They don't have to measure their blood sugars. They don't have to worry about taking any pills, no shots, no nothing. It, you know, no fuss, no muss. It's diabetes for dummies. So what, what exactly does the pump do and how long has it been on the market? It, the Intarsia micro pump holds a year's supply of Exenatide. Aha, uh -huh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I know that. So it's basically uh, a cell therapy that kind of reacts based on glucose concentration in the blood and is seamless. Right. So, I mean, uh, it's not, it's not on the market yet. They just, uh, they got a complete response letter from the FDA. And so once they fixed the, some of the, and it really had nothing to do with the drug. It was how the system was manufactured. Once, and I, and I, I'm very confident that they'll fix that problem. But those are the kind of therapies I love. I love stupid. People like the shortest distance between two points. I, I think another very exciting drug will be the oral version of semaglutide, semaglutide, the injectable version. Uh, they just got a favorable panel vote by the FDA, which probably means the FDA will approve it, and it's a once-weekly injection. You know, and I like that. So what, you know, every Sunday morning, you wake up, you take a shot, and you're done for the week. What's mm -hmm. better than that? You know, that's why a lot of these insulin companies, Novo, Sanofi, Lilly, they've been searching for what I call kind of the magic bullet kind of thing, where... They want to take something like Lantus 
and make it last not 24 hours, but maybe 48 or 72 hours. Mm. You know, because the, the less you have to inject, the better it is. I think you're you're touching a very important point when it comes to innovation uh, and drugs. Uh, a lot of times the, the pharma industry hears that new drugs aren't actually new because sometimes you have basically the same ingredient, but it's just... Um, a lot of these drugs are reformulated to make their time of action last longer, the duration of action. And and in the public eye, that sometimes seems as just a pharma trick, but in reality, it can bring massive uh, adherence improvements. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, the less somebody has to do something, the better it is. You know, going back to your earlier question about apps, I think that's one reason why apps sometimes don't work. It's too much for a patient to grasp. It's just too much information delivered to them too many times. When you're not getting consistent, positive feedback that you can touch and feel, it's very difficult to stay motivated. I'm a rare patient. You know, the 10% of us who we're, we're down with it, we get it. You know, we're the smallest group of patients. Think, you know, think of all the things a, a patient has to do every day. And then on top of it, they have to manage their diabetes. You know, there's no question that education works. Everybody knows that. Yeah, I mean, in theory, but that's, that's one, one question that I definitely want your opinion on, which is in the last, let's say, two decades, therapies has changed. Uh, the approach to the, the disease has changed. The relationship between the patient and the doctor went from being paternalistic from the doctor's perspective to a partnership between a patient and a doctor. So there's a lot of hope kind of in the, the patient empowerment. But to which extent do you see this works based on what you said that, you know, you just have patients that you can teach them, you can give them the know-how, but that still will not be sufficient. To me, it's all about stimulus, okay? What kind of stimuli are you giving these patients? It helps if you if you have an English-speaking patient and when you communicate them that you're not talking Chinese. You know, if they don't understand what they're doing and why they are doing it, then they're not going to do it. It, it, it certainly would be nice if they got something for it. People don't understand. I think most people don't understand you know, what it is like to live with diabetes every day. So you're, let's say you're on three pills for your diabetes. And then you're probably going to be taking a, a satin. And a lot of diabetics are probably taking something for hypertension. You know, so they're taking a, a plethora of pills. You know, pills are painless, okay? You swallow them, you're done. But yet, it's amazing uh, how many of these people don't take their pills on a regular basis. Well, so in your case... What kind of, uh, how many things have changed in terms of management and therapy in the last 20 years? What helped you and what absolutely did not help you? Well, me personally is a bad example. Why? Well, because, you know, as I tell everybody, I have a huge advantage. If I have a question or a problem or a concern... I wear the Dexcom sensor. So if I have a problem, I don't call customer service. I call Kevin Sayer. He runs the company. You know, if I, if I have a question about my insulin, I call the CEO of No Order. You know, I have, a, I have un, unprecedented access. Uh, so I'm really lucky. 
And plus, I also have really good insurance on top of it. You know, I think the good news now is that if a patient wants to, there are um, plenty of options. Yeah, there's more options available to them.、Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a lot of good information available now. You know, we live, we do, we live in a world of instant information. It's on your phone, your tablet, your PC, whatever. But do you think that's the problem? You know that we have too much choice and too many options. I really don't. First of all, I'm a huge advocate of patient choice. I think that there's there's no such thing as、uh, too little information. You know, some people make the argument, well, it's confusing. Well, it's only confusing if you let it be confusing. You know, so and that's my point.、It's、responsibility, like, personal responsibility. Yeah, I mean, okay. Again, I get in trouble for saying this all the time, but I don't really care. The patient does have a level of responsibility. They do. You know, people aren't dumb. Okay, like I mean, here we are. We live in. We. It's really well known that cigarette smoking is not good for you. Yet there's still millions of people, millions of people, who smoke. Even doctors. Even doctors. I mean, and it's and it's kind of well known that. You know, you shouldn't be eating、uh, McDonald's every day. Okay, I think the fallacy of this all is that there's some balance has always been lacking. Is that everybody plays a part here? You know, I'm not a victim. Okay, I've never seen myself as a victim. You know, people said, ask me, well, why did you get diabetes? I said, you know, and I have no idea why I got it. You know, I was diagnosed late. You know, whatever. And I said, but. Bottom line: What difference does it make? Maybe what's your perspective on the view? Well, s- some people do view getting a disease, especially when it's something that you don't have influence on, such as diabetes type one or let's say genetic disorders. They see them sort of as a blessing, as something that kind of helps them become a better person, or I don't know, get in. As I tell people all the time, as I tell people all the time, if you want a friend, get a dog. Okay, I mean, it doesn't. Does it really matter? I mean, it's kind of like my wife、um, had cancer. Okay, and unfortunately, you know, yes, my wife was a smoker. She got lung cancer, and then spread whatever. But bottom line is, okay, does it really matter? I mean, you know, once you have something, you have two choices: either you deal with it or you don't. You walk into a restaurant, and and you see somebody. Who's on a diet and they order, you know,、uh, a pizza with a diet coke? I'm like, oh yeah, that the diet coke is is a diet part of the meal. You know, it, it's it's like, come on, it doesn't it doesn't take brain surgery to figure out that, you know, there's only a few ways you're going to lose weight. Either you change your eating habits, you exercise, you do something different. You know, there's always going to be a percentage of the population who will not accept responsibility, and, I, and that's fine. But there is enough people out there where I think if they, if the stimulus was changed, like for example, let's say hypothetically, and I don't know how it works overseas, but I know how it works here. If you got better, lower insurance rates, the better you manage your diabetes. Believe me, that's going to work. When these patients walk into a Walgreens or a CVS to pick up their scripts, okay, that's something that they feel. You know whether, 
and and not everybody has good insurance. You know, these are things that could change things, but nobody's gone there. We all know incentives work. Okay, you just have to find the right one. Right, exactly. You know, I, I say money works because you know people feel that, but you know, there's other incentives that work too. I mean, you know, when you say outcomes to the majority of patients, it's a foreign concept to them. Mm-hmm. They can't. They can't even grasp. Put their arms around it. First of all, they have a disease they don't understand that they didn't want in the first place. That requires a lot of work to manage properly. Somehow, you've got to take this disease that they didn't want, that they don't understand, and you got to make it relevant to them. What about gamification? How much potential do you see there? Oh, you know, I, I, it's the same as behavior change. It's like, you know, I. You know, it, it, it's like, yeah, it works up to a point. But then again, you know, you, it loses what I call the allure. Mm-hmm. And so when when you look at the, the future and what you've been following in terms of development in, in the past, where exactly do you see optimism? Because I see you're not, I mean, you, you seem to be quite uh, skeptical about many things. Which is not well, kind of very optimistic. Well, uh, I'm not okay. I, I'm not really skeptical. I, I think I think there is a lot of reason for optimism because we have better tools now. If we can get to a point where um, these people understand that we've got to change the paradigm a, li- a little bit. You know, and I say this all the time. I can give you the how-to. I can't. That's pretty easy. Though it's the want-to part that needs to change. How do we? How do we motivate these patients? How do we enlighten them? How do we get them to care? And how do we get them to care on a consistent, ongoing, regular basis? And I think it can be done. And I think, and I quite honestly, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know when it will be done. Do, do you have an idea how it could be done since you've been in this for the last 20 years? Who could be a better expert than a patient? You know, I, I, think, it, I, th- I, think, it's, I think it's what I call the consumerization of healthcare. You know, you've got companies like uh, Apple and Google and uh, Amazon. And, you know, you have all of these new companies who know, who understand not only uh, how to communicate with the patient, but make, how to make people's lives easier. I think that's very exciting. I, in fact, I think that's extraordinarily exciting. You know, that has a lot of potential because diabetes is a, is, is, is not just a medical problem. It, it's a financial problem. You know, it, it's, you know, there's so many issues with it. And it's rising. So I guess the question is, is it a problem that's going to get actionable solutions or is it just a problem with a rising market potential which is going to attract more and more companies i view the future of diabetes to be a battle over platforms meaning that in the future i think when somebody is diagnosed with diabetes they're going to be uh, prescribed a complete diabetes management system and in that system will be everything they need their drugs, their devices, their apps, and and 
I think in the future you're going to see things being used, virtual doctors, where you'll see instead of a patient having to go into, uh, you know, see their doctor, they'll, they'll be able to go somewhere, get their labs done. Okay. That, that's available now. That's a pretty simple thing to do. Then those lab results are shared with her physician who then, I mean, is there, I mean, is there a reason this physician has to touch you? I can't think of one. I mean, some things you don't need to have a human. My children are 31 years old. You know, they're going to grow up in a world where it won't be necessary to always go to a doctor's office to see, to see a doctor. You know, That's what we're hoping for with the digitization. That's where I, the reason I, I am optimistic, because I do believe that in the future, the, some of the newer companies will do what I, what I crave, to, to, to turn all of this data into patient-relevant, patient-actionable data. If there's something that companies like Amazon and Google and Apple are really good at, they're really good at that. We have plenty of good drugs. We have excellent devices. It's just getting them to be used the way they're supposed to be used. The big question, I guess, in the end is the solution would be if there would be a cure for diabetes. But based on everything that we've talked about, based on the com uh, consumerization and how much of new companies are entering the space to kind of try to help with management, is it even in anyone's interest to find a cure or is the market simply too appealing for that? Well, first of all, any, anybody who found a cure for diabetes would be rich beyond their wildest dreams. So I, I don't buy this argument that, you know, people aren't looking for a cure because of the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's a ridiculous argument. I mean, diabetes is a global phenomenon um, that's costing uh, governments a, lot, a ton of money. Yeah, but I mean, in theory, if you could cure it, that would mean that a lot of players on the market would have believe to be me, eliminated. Believe me, these, <laughs> I have to tell you, they, it would be whoever, whoever could cure it would be rich beyond their wildest imagination and nobody else would really care. You know, this is the way it works. The problem with a cure, I mean, I've been covering this industry for over 20 years. What was the biggest bullshit that you've heard so far? <laughs> oh, my God, there's so many. Um, well, I don't know if it's the biggest myth, but one of the myths is, is that, that you know, everybody talks about outcomes, okay? Mm -hmm. But nobody, nobody really cares. You know, I, I hate to say this. I mean, what happens with a lot of these companies is, you know, it sounds really good to say that you care. But if, like, for example... If I'm an insurance company, the average life of somebody on my plan is about 24 to 30 months. Uh, why would I have any incentive to have better outcomes? Okay. The reason I have no incentive is because, you know, really what's my goal? I want to manage these patients as cheaply as possible until they're, until they're on Medicare. That's the goal. You know, I, I tell people all the time, I said the business of diabetes does interfere with the management of diabetes. Mm -hmm. I, I may not like it, you know, and I think, you know, another myth is, is that patients really care. A lot of them don't. You know, I'm not, and I'm not dismissing that. I'm just saying that I think that people misunderstand that 
I think for too many years, the wrong people were being listened to. Mm-hmm. And I think patients were treated uh, unfairly. You know, so, um, you know, where all of this goes, I, I, I have no idea. I am, like I said, I am optimistic with some of the new companies that are now entering the arena because they understand how to deal with consumers. They, they know how to reach them. They know how to communicate them. They know how to make things work. And they're not, they're not living in the old world. They're living in the new world. And I think that's exciting. You know, whether it works or not, I don't know. But I, 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 I think I, I am optimistic about that. This was the 22nd episode of Medicine Today on Digital Health. Do stay tuned, take a few seconds to rate the podcast, and if you're interested in learning more, check the other episodes as well. On the topic of business and patient customers, a lot has been said in episode 12, where investors from Germany, Denmark and Bulgaria, plus the former health minister of Slovenia, talk about the topic. If you're into sensors, listen to episode 6, where Professor Anthony Turner talks about wearables and biosensors. As he says, we haven't yet made the sensors we really need, we're using the ones we happen to have. Stay tuned!